do 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 It's mediocre adventures do do What's up everybody we back uh we back for another episode of Eric's Mediocre Adventures. Uh this time we are going to be discussing by we I mean me uh we're gonna be discussing Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets the second film installment of the Harry Potter series um, apologies if you can hear some noise in the background that for some reason they always seem to be doing construction in front of my building which which is you know it's great I love it it's my favorite <laughs> huh. anyways um let's 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 you know discuss some news before we do this I guess um I don't really think there is much news actually uh at least nothing that's that stood out to me. Um, the Avengers game is coming out. You know that's good. We like that. Uh, it seems like it's a, f a fine, fun smash up game, which is hopefully you know is what it is. Uh, Mulan, I think, is coming out this week or next week. You know, for people who want to pay for that on Disney Plus, you know, go for it. Um, what else? What else? Uh, Tenet came out, and apparently that's a good, it's a good movie. I haven't seen it yet, but I would like to. Um, do, 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 do. Oh, the boys comes out tomorrow. Boys season two. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'll probably watch most of that tomorrow, if not all of it. Um, really? Yeah, I don't think there is much else going on, as far as I know. Uh. I also haven't really been looking, but yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing, though, uh, as a follow-up to, to last week's uh, episode where, where I talked about uh, Chad Proposal's passing, um, and I said I was going to go watch some of his films. I did. Uh, I watched Get On Up, which I think he did an incredible job in. I just The, the movie didn't really do anything for me because I, I feel like it was weirdly put together and it was kind of unclear at times when things were and what was happening which like I read that was kind of the point of the movie like that's what they were trying to do but uh, it didn't really capture me um, but then I watched 42 I watched that yesterday with my parents and I really liked that movie I thought it was very good uh, very well acted he was great in it um, Harrison Ford was great in it really enjoyed it it was a good time and then, uh, of course, I watched a, a Civil War, as I said. And then I watched uh, In the Name of the King or Message of the... Oh, I can't remember what it's called now. I suck. <laughs> I'm going to check. What's, what's she called, man? I think it's Messenger from the King is what it's called. I watched most of that, and then I just got tired, and I stopped watching it. It wasn't because it was bad or anything. I just I was sleepy. Yeah, message from the king. I was sleepy, and the movie was kind of depressing at times. So, but I will go back and finish that. Uh, I was enjoying it to to that point, which you know it's great. Oh, actually, I just saw this interesting piece of news. Apparently, from uh, comicbook.com, uh, Damian Wayne apparently has dropped the identity of Robin. And Tim Drake has become Robin again. He was just a character named Drake, which I 
I thought was really dumb when they did that. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's back as Robin, I guess, for now. Which is fine. <laughs> I think if, if, if they were going to do something, something with Tim Drake and, and he wasn't going to be Robin, then he, I think he should have been just making Red Robin again. But um, I also think there's not a problem with there being multiple Robins, especially if like one of them was going to be with Batman and one of them's not. Like, I don't, I don't think it's a big deal because there was a time very briefly where there was multiple Robins, where they had Tim Drake was Robin, but also uh, Damian Wayne was going around saying he was Robin, so it's not really a huge, huge deal. But uh, I really like Damian, so I hope he doesn't disappear and that he sticks around, um, which is what you want. Yeah, uh, yeah so I don't think there's much going on. Um, so I guess we'll get to this movie, uh, Chamber Secrets. I didn't know I owned an extended version of it, but I, apparently I do. So I watched that one. <laughs> uh, it's again, it's that special kind of Blu-ray that came out. Probably it's probably ten years ago now, where they had the documentaries that came with it. Uh, this one was the documentary that was with this one was where is it uh creating the world part two the characters so uh i did watch that and i will discuss that at the end as well like i did last time um but yeah so initially when i when i read this book and it's a story i told last time it was uh it was the first harry potter book i read because i was like five or six and i didn't know that I didn't know that there was one before it. Like, I was just given this book. The second one is a gift. And I was like, okay, this is probably something I can read. <laughs> and uh, it was my favorite of the books until I read the third one. So, <laughs> I guess, which is, is how it works. Yeah, so I, li I like the second book more than I like the first one. And I think I like the second movie more than I like the first movie as well. But, you know. Uh, yeah, it's probably the book I know the least Either this or the Half Blood Prince. Like, I've not reread Chamber Secrets in a very long time. Uh, so when I watched the movie, I went and got the book off my shelf and I had it with me just to, to scan through it at times for things to jog my memory and stuff. Uh, I have read it at least 10 times, as my tallies on the front page of my book would tell me, because I did 10. Uh, I usually stopped keeping count at 10, so there's likely more, but. Um, I've read it at least 10 times. It's just whenever I reread a Harry Potter book, it's usually three, four, or seven. So, uh, yeah. This one is directed once again by Christopher Columbus. Uh, it's the last of the Harry Potter movies he directs uh, as Alfonso Cuaron comes in for three. Um, I wrote down my thoughts before starting the movie, just so I could like know what my baseline was and if my opinion changed. So this is what I wrote. Uh, this, in my opinion, is probably the best adapted of the movies, uh, as it captures the most of the book with minimal losses. It might even be one of my favorite of the movies. So that's what I started with. Uh, and then we get right into the movie here. I like that in this one, there's no kind of faffing about. We just get right to it. We're like, bam, Hedwig theme. Bam, title card. Uh, and then it hops right in. The book 
kind of has a reintroductory chapter where it like reintroduces everything to you before the Masons show up for the party, uh, which includes Harry threatening to spell Dudley at one point and Petunia almost hitting him in the head with a pan on purpose uh, and so on and so forth. But for the most part, I think these early spots of the movie are right on. Uh, Like it's not a necessary thing especially for a movie that's coming out so soon before the first one like you don't really need a reintroductory thing like it's different it's different than a book um but dan is noticeably older uh in appearance and voice which is you know obviously but uh it's it's a big even from the end of like philosopher's stone or the parts in philosopher's stone he's the oldest he is like noticeably older in this one uh we also get here Harry saying to Hedwig that he is not allowed to use magic outside of school. Looking at you, Alfonso Curon. Uh, I get super annoyed that in the, fir- the beginning of the third one, he's doing magic under his blanket. He's doing the Lumos Maximus. If he couldn't do that, he would get expelled. <laughs> like, like, I was like, maybe, maybe only the, the movies say that, or the, maybe only the books say that. But the movies say it because he gets in trouble... In five, for the uh, the Patronus, and then he also gets he also says it out right here that you can't do it. So it's a bad bad play, Alfonso. Uh, but yeah, so we get Harry uh, telling Hedwig he's not allowed to do magic outside school. Then the Dursleys call him down, and uh, Harry's being his sassy self, which I love. Uh, and he says his sassy line of he'll be in his bedroom making no noise and pretending that he doesn't exist. Which is great. Uh, And then uh, we meet Dobby. Dobby in this movie is so perfect, I think. And in the rest of the movies, he is criminally underused. uh, To the point where his reappearance in Deathly Hallows Part 1, I think, makes no sense. I feel like it's it's there's so much stuff in the later movies that they shoehorned in because they decided not to keep it included in, in other movies. And Dobby is, is one of them. Uh, like, for reference, for those who haven't read the books, the only book Dobby Dobby does not appear in is Prisoner of Azkaban. But he, he is in every other book from this point on, in some form. Yet, he is only in one other movie, which is Death and Hell's Part 2. Uh, but the effect for Dobby, the special effects, is still so good. And I never knew that Dobby was voiced by Toby Jones until like really recently. And Toby Jones is great. I like Toby Jones. The only major difference uh, between the book and movie to this point, uh, the end of the Dobby stuff, is that in the book, Harry gets a warning uh, from the Ministry of Magic about performing magic at home because Dobby floats the pudding. Um, in the For context and stuff, this is why in 5... In Order of the Phoenix, he gets no warning and is just immediately expelled or whatever because he had already had his warning. Like, he had had multiple issues with underage magic by that point. But in the, in the movie, that doesn't happen. He just... They, they just don't say anything. Uh, it also... It, it confuses me because the, the letter coming telling him that he's in trouble for doing magic is why Vernon feels like he can threaten Harry and keep him locked up in the bedroom because he knows that like Harry can't do anything. But in the movie, he just locks Harry in his bedroom. <laughs> he just does it. 
all the while, like, I guess he does he wouldn't know that Harry can just match himself out, which I think that's a little weird. But overall, it's pretty minor differences. Uh, the Weasleys show up in their flying car, which is spot on. Uh, other than in the book, Fred and George come inside and they pick the locks and they go get Harry's school stuff from the cupboard where it is locked in the books. Um, in the movie, he, he just has his stuff in his room. And uh, as I mentioned in the last uh, review for the first movie, uh, Harry just has a bedroom now. Like, there's no explanation. He just has a room at the beginning of this movie. Which is you know, good enough, I guess. Doesn't really need mentioning, but it's weird. Uh, the other differences between this scene uh, from book to movie, I think it's in the book. Uh, Harry tells the Weasleys about Dobby and his theory that it's a prank like, from Draco Malfoy, which is fun foreshadowing because Dobby does come from the Malfoys. It's just not a prank. And we get a bit more world building uh, at this point in the book. So we learn like what house elves are, uh, who usually has them, the rich people. Uh, we learn what Ar Arthur does at the ministry, that kind of stuff. It's not super necessary stuff, so I can see why it wasn't included ultimately. But... It's world building's always nice, uh, and house elves were kind of like really important in the books, but they were never that important to the movies. So I like it just kind of makes sense that they left that stuff out. Uh, so they go to the burrow, the Weasley home, and the main difference between the scenes we see here in the movie and then the scenes in the book is that uh, in the book Molly catches them outside, like she sees the car coming. Uh, and then she makes the boys go denome the garden, which Harry takes long to do, and it's a fun mini game from the video game. That's why I remember it. Um, you just like you, you spin a gnome around and you check it. Uh, but everything other than the early introduction to Gilderoy Lockhart, because Mister Weasley has his books and stuff, is there in the movie. The conversations, like all of it, is there for the most part, uh, which is perfect. But yeah, other than the minor world-building stuff, like the talks about uh, professional quidditch and the like. We meet Arthur Weasley, uh, another excellent cast. It's pretty much how I pictured Arthur. Though I initially, like when I read the books before I saw the movie, uh, I would picture Arthur like a younger-looking man with a bald spot. But then I saw Chamber of and saw what he looked like. And I was like, oh yeah, this works too. <laughs> Uh, Mundungus Fletcher is also mentioned here in the book. He's a character who crops up in the last three books a decent amount, but again, only makes it to one movie. I believe he's mentioned in the first book, too. It's brought up a lot. But yeah, uh, the movie also pulls back a bit on Ginny's shyness around Harry. Uh, there's multiple instances of her being shy and weird around him in the book, and it just becomes one uh, scene in the movie when she runs away and then for the rest of it she's pretty normal uh, they don't mention it in the movie how many books Lockhart has assigned for his one class but he assigned seven books for Defense Against the Dark Arts and I find it weird that they let him like that's too many books like even like in university if I, I take a class and there's more than three textbooks I'm usually out I'm like I'm not going to do this Seven is too many. So, like, because in theory, each, at least two of the years had all seven. So I'm assuming all the years had all seven. 
So Molly would have had to buy 35 copies of Lockhart's books unless Fred and George decided to share. Like, they're already poor. <laughs> uh, but other than some correspondence with Hermione, some Quidditch games with Du Bois, and learning, like, what owl exams are in this one, like, very early on, as opposed to the fifth movie, it is mostly the same from here. Uh, Harry flews to Nocturne Alley by mistake. He ends up in Bordel Burks. Uh, he overhears Lucius selling some stuff. Which I believe is actually an extended scene, as I don't recall seeing it in the theatrical cut. Uh, in the extended version, Harry hides in a cabinet as uh, Lucius and Draco show up and sell some dark items. Because Arthur's doing raids on houses uh, with the Muggle Protection Act. Uh, so, even though he's not technically introduced yet in the movie, uh, in my version of the movie he is, so I'm going to talk about him. I think Lucius Malfoy is marvelously cast. Uh, I enjoy Tom Isaacs very much, especially in the Peter Pan reboot from 2003. I love that movie. In this one, he kind of has that quiet, threatening presence to him that you want him to have. Like, you want Lucius to be threatening. Uh, in later movies, he isn't because he's not supposed to be, but in this one, he is. He is kind of threatening, and I like that. Um, in the book, in this scene, Harry hides in the vanishing cabinet that Draco uh, later uses in The Half-Blood Prince to sneak Death Eaters into Hogwarts. We see it in the movie uh, and, and the book, of course. In, in this, in the like the added scene, he's just in like a weird sarcophagus kind of thing. Uh, and when he tries to leave in the movie, Borgen catches him but lets him go. Uh, in the book, he does he just sneaks out. The rest of the scene, though, is our uh, par on course for the book. Except in the book, Mr. Weasley fixes Hermione Glass. Hermione's. No, that's not right. Mr. Weasley fixes uh, Harry's glasses, not Hermione, because Hermione is technically breaking the rules here. It's not supposed to be doing magic, even though they'd never know it was her in Diagon Alley because uh, Ministry can only tell when magic is done, not who does it, but she's still wouldn't do it uh emma watson also looks much older here like a lot of the baby fat has gone from her face i noticed like it i guess that's what parents call it when, you, when like your child slims down in the face they lose the baby fat uh hermione's parents are here but we don't meet them and technically i don't think we ever do they aren't in the books again if i remember correctly and we do see them again in death of hollows part one but we never actually meet them like we don't know their names or anything uh, we move on to Flourish and Blots, where we meet Kenneth Branagh, who's playing Gilderoy Lockhart. Another marvelous casting, I think. Like, you, you hate him so much because he's so smarmy, which is the point. Uh, hard to believe seeing this guy that he directed Thor, so that's fun. From my memory, uh, the only differences between the books, the book and the movie here is that uh, they go to Gringotts to get money, and Harry sees how poor the Weasleys are, because like, they emptied their vault to get like a couple coins. Uh, and Luce, Lucius and Arthur have an actual fist fight in the books, uh, in Flourish and Blots, which is broken up by Hagrid, and then this, they just have harsh words. Uh, the Hogwarts Express stuff is also mostly the same. We get to that part of the movie where they're uh, going back to Hogwarts on September 1st. I don't get 
why both parents went through before Harry and Ron. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. I like, think at least one of them would wait until everyone is in. But, you know, that might just be me. Uh, them stealing the car, though, because they can't get through the barrier is pretty believable because I think 12-year-olds are friggin' stupid. So that's something 12-year-olds would do if they had the option. Uh, the green screen and the CGI of the car, though, are not great at all. I don't think. Like, it's very, very fake-looking. Um, and in the book, they are a lot less stupid when they take the car in that, like, Ron turns the invisibility on before they take off, and it just stops working, and that's how they get seen. Like, it, it goes faulty. But in the movie, they just forget. Like, they take off, they're flying, then Harry goes, we should probably be invisible, dude. And Ron's like, oh, yeah. And he hits it. Like, be smarter, guys. Um, they obviously added the scene with Harry almost falling out of the car and stuff to give some action and tension to the scene. Because, uh, like, the book deliberately makes a point of mentioning that the flight was uneventful and boring, like, after the invisibility problems, and they just follow the train. <laughs> uh, Whomping Willow stuff is most the same, and I think it still looks good, the Whomping Willow bits, even though you can tell it's, like, an animatronic tree or a fake tree or whatever. Uh, Ron's wand breaks as that happens in the book. Uh, the main difference I can think of is that in the book, Snape catches them sneaking in rather than Filch. But the punishment and all that is the same, except uh, there's like an added scene of them being given dinner in Snape's office. What, like the teachers leave and they give them some sandwiches and stuff to eat. Uh, we also get another extra scene here for my extended edition where Filch uh, drops his quick spell letter and Harry gives it back. Uh, quick spell is like a is like a way for weak wizards or squibs to kind of like try to learn some magic, uh, because as we learn from the book uh, later in the book, it's a different scene uh, that Filch is a squib, meaning he was born to a magical family, but he has no magic himself, and he's using quick spell to try to get some. Apparently, uh, I see why this was dropped from the movie, and then I also dropped from the theatrical cut because Filch being a squib is not important. Like it's just not important. And the way they added this in is kind of lazy. Like it, it makes no sense and it provides no context. Like they don't speak on it more as to what quick spell is. It's just a weird moment for like book fans, I think to go, Oh yeah. But yeah, makes sense why they cut it. Uh, beyond that, the only thing that's the, the movie really cuts out, to this point, um, from here, is the movie cuts out some interaction with Lockhart because he's trying to like buddy buddy with Harry, and then uh, they introduce Colin, which is which they do in the movie. It's just at a different part of the movie, uh, and they just skip right to herbology class with the Mandrakes. So they're in herbology uh, in the greenhouses. Uh, I think Colin. Preview got done dirty as a character in these movies. Uh, for some reason, in the fourth movie, they decided to essentially replace him with a character called Nigel. Like, I don't really know why they did that. Like, they, they took Colin Creepy and Dennis Creepy and kind of mixed them together and then added some stuff and then gave us Nigel. I was ultimately okay with them doing this, though, because Colin's death 
in, in the seventh book friggin' broke me when I read it the first time. I was shook. So I'm glad we didn't have to watch that. <laughs> but yeah, in the book, uh, Lockhart comes by before Herbology because he wants to take Harry under his fame wing and like guide him through fame, which is a plot line that was kind of completely dropped from the movie. But again, it's kind of not important, so I get I get why. Uh, also, Ron gets the Howler uh, before Herbology in the book, not after. And they cut out the introduction of Justin Finch Fletchley, who we meet later in the movie. Um, in the book, you meet him in Herbology because Harry works with him on the Mandrakes, which is why Harry takes it more personally later when he's Justin's not a nice fella. The movie also did Neville dirty, I think, as they had him faint when the Mandrakes cried. But like in the books, he's actually quite good at Herbology, and this incident doesn't take place at all. No one like passes out, so I don't know why they added it beyond like comic relief but even though we get that later with the pixies so i don't i don't know why yeah after herbology we get uh another extra scene it's uh colin introducing himself it's extended and he talks about um his dad being a milkman and he asks ron to take a picture of him and stuff but in the movie it's just him saying hi i'm colin Cravey. i'm in gryffindor too and then the howler comes in the book, this leads to another scene of Lockhart trying to nurture Harry's fame because Draco makes fun of Harry for taking like autograph pictures and stuff. Uh, but they do not do that. We also get another added scene. There's actually a lot of little added scenes in this one early on. Uh, the next one is in Defense Against the Dark Arts class where we start the class with Lockhart uh, giving the kids a quiz on himself with questions like what is his favorite color and stuff like that. It's lilac, by the way. Uh, this is in the book, uh, so I liked it. It's a nice little touch. Uh, in the theatrical cut, it just skips right to him like releasing the pixies. Neville does get put on the ceiling in both, though, which is fun. Uh, another minor difference is when we go to the Quidditch bit, uh, in the book, the confrontation with the Slytherin team and the stuff with Ron puking slugs takes place on the Quidditch pitch, like, obviously, because they're going to practice. Uh, in the movie, they just do it in the courthouse, or the court the courtyard. Uh, I'm assuming just because the, the Quidditch set is probably somewhere else, and it's probably a lot of CGI and a pain to do. So they're like, let's just do it here. It's also weird, I think, that no one noticed Draco. when, If you watch the scene, you can clearly see him walking up with them like he's he's out in the open and like on the left or something then they hide him after that which is weird also also uh the nimbus 2001 is so much cooler looking than the nimbus 2000 and i'm still disappointed to this day how ugly they make the fireball like the nimbus 2001 remains the coolest looking broom in the film series uh because the fireball is hideous uh, I made a note here asking myself, uh, was Marcus Flint recast? Excuse me while I go Google. Yes, he was recast. Um, I, I thought he sounded different because, like, he, he's talking about Draco, and then I remember in the last movie, the guy was like, Turn that shit! Like, he, he sounded noticeably different to me and a lot deeper. So I had to Google it, and he was recast. But, you know, like, fair enough, I guess. Uh, so yeah, Ron tries to shoot Draco with his wand because Draco calls Marnia a mudblood. 
and it makes him spit up slugs, so they go to Hagrid's, and uh, we get a scene that I love of Hagrid supporting Hermione and cheering her up, which is very lovely. One thing I don't like uh, that the movie does is, in the book, she's like Harry. She doesn't know what Mudblood means, and it has to be explained to her by Ron and, and Hagrid, because it's... Like, she, she knows it's nasty and it's something bad, the way he says it, but she doesn't know what it actually means. Uh, in the movie, she knows, but I don't think there's any reason she would know it yet. From what we've seen in the movies and, like, everything that we know to this point, I don't think she'd be aware of what what a mudblood is, other than, obviously, like, being able to guess what it is from the words. Um, and who's saying it. But, yeah, I, I prefer how the book get it there personally uh, but yes yeah, so after this the movie skips right to uh, Harry's detention with Lockhart uh, the book does this as well but in the book we see Ron's detention a bit as well like we learn he has to go to the trophy room and clean the trophies which is how he recognizes the name Tom Riddle later this is cut completely from the theatrical cut uh, but in the extended edition, there's a scene where Ron talks about his detention and that he knows the name Tom Riddle from, from the trophy, which is cool. I do like that. But the movie, uh, this is the part where it probably takes out the most. Uh, in the movie, after his detention with Lockhart, Harry just finds uh, Mrs. Norris petrified and stuff. Like, they, he hears the basilisk and they find the cat. Uh, but in the book, there's quite a bit more stuff. Um... This is the part of the book where Harry finding about finding out about uh, Phil Trina Squibb is. It's where uh, there's some more stuff with Lockhart, I think, if I remember correctly. But it's also uh, we see nearly headless Nick, and he invites Harry to his death day party, which is like a party to celebrate the day he died. And he wants Harry there to try to like schmooze some people because Harry's famous and and he wants uh, to be part of the headless hunt. And because he's nearly headless, they don't let him in. So he's hoping Harry can grease the wheels, as it were. Uh, this is also in the book when Pease introduces them to Moaning Myrtle because she is at uh, Nick's party. Again, it makes sense why this was cut uh, because the movies don't really care about the ghosts and Pease was already removed. So I think if there's anything, like if there's anything to reasonably condense in this book, this this, this was it. Like, cutting this made sense because it is kind of inconsequential. Uh, them not caring about ghosts also leads to another change in that uh, instead of them learning about the Chamber of Secrets in the history of magic with Professor Binns, who is a ghost, uh, they learn about the Chamber of Secrets from Professor McGonagall for some reason, even though she's the Transfiguration teacher. But yeah, that's where we learn about that. Uh, another thing they cut from the book is that we learn about Ron's uh, fear of spiders really early on in the book. Like they set it up uh, when they're making their apologies plan, he tells them. But in the book, uh, the book they need for the apologies potions in the restrictions section, Hermione has to trick Lockhart into signing a provision form slip for her. So that she can go get it, and they uh, 
they talk about how they're going to have to steal ingredients from Snape's supply and stuff to make the potion because it's 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 obviously a rare potion and not something kids can just do uh, in the books. In the movie, they just have them. They just have the ingredients. The books in the normal part of the library, everything's copacetic and all and all that jazz. Like they don't have any problems at all, which I guess is fine. It's not really a big deal. Um, it's, it, I think it's a fun bit of world building stuff that they could have included, and I and I don't think it would have really eaten up any time to do it because, like, I think for the most part people enjoy seeing the kids in class and, and stuff like that, getting to see more magic and more potions. So I think could have easily been added, but that's just my opinion, I suppose. Uh, the next scene in the movie is the Quidditch scene. And I think it looks significantly better than the last film, uh, but the the game was very condensed. You see, you see like really little of it beyond Harry and Ron's like uh, not Ron, sorry, uh, Harry and Draco's secret chase, which I suppose is fine because that's what they need to focus on anyways, uh, or what they feel like they need to focus on. But the book has a lot more in this game. Like you actually get to see tactics and stuff, and you get to see timeouts and and the the team talking about how to get the bludger off of Harry and stuff like that, which I really like. But I guess most of the Quidditch team characters are not at all relevant or important in the movie, so they don't really do anything with them. Uh, other than that, I think it's a great scene. I enjoy the game. Uh, I enjoy Draco getting hit. Uh, Colin taking pictures. Like it's all good stuff. Uh, the bone arm stuff when he breaks his arm from the bludger is mostly the same. I think it's funnier in the movie though, especially like when it wiggles. Um, one thing I was wondering though is this technically the first introduction to Madame Pomfrey in the movies? Like I don't remember if we saw her in the first one. Like I tried, I'm trying to think about it, and I tried to think about it when I watched, and I just couldn't. I couldn't remember. Um, I also can't remember if he ever actually says anything in any of the other movies after this one, or if she's just kind of like sometimes there. But <laughs> uh, that's, I think, another problem with these movies generally is that so many of the teachers just become background characters in the movies rather than people who actually are there, which like I get because it's, it's meant to focus on the kids, but there's still some important stuff that the teachers do that they just leave out. Or this is not really relevant in the movies. So, yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed this time too is how does anyone think like Harry's legitimately the heir and the one doing the attacks in the movies or in the books because he's in the hospital wing with no bones in his arm when uh, the first petrification of a person happens when Colin gets attacked. Like, what reason do people have to go? Oh yeah, it was Harry because he couldn't have been there. But yeah, anyways, uh, poor Colin, poor Colin's camera, like, uh, that guy's not having a good time. Straight up though, Dobby needs to stop snitching or he has to be a much better snitch. Like he shows up and he's giving Harry like riddles and stuff and, and saying, oh, it's, he's in trouble and stuff's happening, but I'm not going to tell you anything. Like the lack of information he gives is maddening. Like. Either don't be a snitch or snitch all the way, Dobby. Like, you ain't the Riddler. Yeah, so the book, uh, after this part, the only stuff the book has really is the uh, 
the scene of them actually stealing the ingredients from Snape. Uh, they talking about the chamber secrets, like trying to learn more about it and stuff. Uh, the movie just skips right past that stuff, as I mentioned, because I guess they didn't find it this important. And they skip right to the uh, the dueling club. I don't know if this is extended or not. I, I honestly can't remember, but I, th I think it is. Uh, there's a scene in the dueling club where Justin Finch Fletchley introduces himself to Harry uh, in the movie before before the duels start, which, as I said earlier, he introduces himself in the book in Herbology. But I, I don't remember if that's actually in the movie or not, like the theatrical version. If it is, or if you remember it, let me know, because I can't remember. But we get Snape versus Lockhart uh, to demonstrate dueling. And to be honest, as much as I love Snape doing Expelliarmus, because he has a cool voice, I hate the duels in this movie. They are slow, slow. Like, it's so easy to just move out of the way of the spells that are coming at people in this, because they take forever to say stuff, and the spells are slow. Like, just move. I get Lockhart not moving because he's supposed to be incompetent and stuff. And, like, we see that in the book when he tries to teach a shield spell and he just drops his wand and stuff. But, like, Harry and Draco could just move. <laughs> I do think it is funny, though, that the Harry's main spell, like, the spell that becomes his, like, go-to throughout the rest of this is a spell that we first see Snape using. <laughs> like, it's our first... Our first experience with Expelliarmus is, is Snape, and then Harry just, like, takes it over. Uh, difference between the book and the movie for this scene, the, the dueling club, is that in the book it's more of a club, so everyone is practicing. Like, they're all practicing spells and having mini-duels and stuff. Uh, whereas in the movie, the only thing we get is Snape, Lockhart, and then Harry and uh, Draco's match. But for the most part, I think the scenes are mostly the same and like they get the same information across. Uh, like Harry's a parson mouth, Justin's now afraid of him, etc. Like that's the main stuff to come out of this and that's what you get. And more proof that Lockhart sucks, which you get in both. But we get another extra scene here in the, in the extended edition and it's something that is in the books, but that's not in the theatrical cut. Uh, Harry's in the library and he overhears uh, Ernie McMillan talking shit about him, saying that like he thinks Harry's the heir and that he's uh, he told Justin to hide in the dorm to stay away from Harry and stuff. Uh, there is a difference though between this scene in the book and this scene in the extended edition. In that in the book, Harry pops out and he like confronts the Hufflepuffs and Ernie, and in the book, he just uh, he stays hidden and walks away. Or in the movie, sorry. He stays hidden and he just walks away. He's like, I'm going to leave. And then we get another extra scene of uh, when Harry leaves the library. He runs into Hagrid and Hagrid's holding the slaughter rooster, like a dead rooster. And this is when we learn in the movie that someone's killing all the roosters. Something we also learn in the books. Uh, but we do not learn in the theatrical cut. I don't think. But we get a... Then we get Harry wandering around the castle, and he comes across Justin and uh, and uh, nearly headless Nick, who have been attacked, and they are petrified. And then McGonagall takes Harry to Dumbledore because reasons. Uh, it's kind of the exact same in the book, except in the book it is Peeves who finds Harry 
and he yells that there's been another attack and it calls all the people over and they see Harry standing there. The scene in Dumbledore's office, though, is very accurate, and I love how it kind of mirrors the scene that we get later uh, with Tom in the diary. Uh, like Dumbledore says the same kind of stuff, and the reply is the same, and all that. Like, I love that. I think that's neat. It's Nehru. Um, but we get another added scene here of Fred and George mocking Harry about being the heir of Slytherin. And telling people to stay away from him. And then Harry gets moody and he snaps at Hermione and Ron and suggests that maybe he could be the heir of Slytherin and just not know it, not know that he's doing it, which is foreshadowing. Uh, the plan to get the hair from Crabbe and Goyle and knock him out is the exact same, except in the book they just put them on the stairs and Crabbe and Goyle pick them up and eat them. And then the movie they use magic and float them near their face, which I think is incredibly more suspicious and just makes Crabbe and Goyle seem even stupider. <laughs> and in the book, uh, Hermione gets the hair uh, from Millicent Bolstrode during the Dooming Club because she's paired with her and then like puts her in a headlock and stuff, so she takes it then. And in the movie, she just says she went into the laundry and stole it from their robes or something. Which, if that was true, Hermione would have found out about the house elves in two rather than four. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> Either way, cat hair. It's cat hair. She turns into a cat. Hermione, cat. One thing I don't like that they do in the movies with the Polyjuice Potion, and it's only sometimes, is that it makes it so the people still sound like themselves, except when it doesn't. So in every instance we've seen of Polyjuice Potion, except for Mad-Eye Moody and Barty Crouch Jr., the potion, you still sound like yourself. You don't sound like the person you turned into, except, like I said, Mad-Eye Moody. But that's not how Polyjuice Potion works. Like, if that was how it worked and it makes you sound like yourself, then there's no point in using it. Because you can't accurately pretend to be someone else, because they'll obviously go, you don't sound like you. Like... Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that Harry and Ron still sound like Harry and Ron. Because uh, I I think people would obviously notice. They'd go, hey, crap, Royal, your voices sound incredibly different. Almost like those two guys we hate. But, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming they did it uh, so that the movie watchers, who for the most part are kids, so I guess they're trying to like dumb it down, um... I'm assuming they did it so that people could know which one is which. But I think people aren't that stupid, nor do they need to know. Like, you know that these two people are, are here and wrong. You don't necessarily need to know which one is which, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, that's a nitpick with that. I do love Tom Felton's delivery during these scenes, though. Particularly the when... Uh, Harry Goyle, or Harry Crabb, whichever one he is, I don't even know, uh, says he was reading, and he's like, I didn't know you could read. I love that. <laughs> I think that's funny. The movie cut out a thing, too, about Draco laughing at Ron's dad and letting it slip that they, uh, the Malfoys hide stuff under their floorboards, which is something Ron later tells his dad. And uh, Arthur goes and does another raid of, of Malfoys, and he finds some stuff, like... Which is a big huzzah! Victory for the good people. Um, 
but they they cut that out. And again, I it's more world building stuff, and it isn't super necessary. And it also doesn't actually really result in anything than the books. Like it, he doesn't really get in any trouble, so I can see why it was cut. One thing I don't like uh, is he, uh, Draco saying he wants Hermione to die. Like I feel like that's like a, a massive leap from just not liking her because she's like Muggleborn. Uh, he says this in the book too. He says that he hopes that she gets killed. It's like, dude, <laughs> you're a twelve year old child. Like, leave the poor girl alone. But again, yeah. Uh, to this point, nothing majorly different happens. Uh, most faithful adaptation. Like I'm telling you, it's 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 pretty spot on. Cat uh, Hermione though is pretty silly looking, and uh, it always makes me chuckle when I see her. I'm like, you look stupid. <laughs> you look so dumb. Uh, but we get to the part, the next part of the movie is after Cat Hermione leaves, is Harry finds the diary, and it's pretty much the same as he does in the book. Though in the book, Ron drops the fact that Harry should be careful because it might be dangerous, like that random objects places can be trouble, which is foreshadowing! But then, yeah, this is the part where the extended steam happens, uh, where Ron recognizes the name, Tom Riddle, uh, and he tells Harry and Hermione about it. Like I said, it's not in the theatrical version, and I don't know why it was cut. It gives a lot of good information, but I, I guess the exact same information is given in Harry's like scene where he sees the memory. So I guess it wasn't needed, but I liked it. It's, just, it's a moment of Ron being useful, which is always you know good. The use was good. Uh, the book has, this is a, a little bit more added stuff from the book between this part and the next part of the movie. Um, Harry goes to look at the trophy to, to see, like, yo, what's up, Tom Riddle? Uh, there's some stuff of them trying to figure out the diary, like they do some spells on it and stuff. Um, there's a Valentine's Day scene where Lockhart brings in a bunch of dwarves dressed as cupids to deliver valentines. Uh, Harry gets a valentine with a love poem that is, like, it's, it's pretty hinted that it's from Ginny. Um, and then the movie, though, just skips right to Harry writing in the diary. None of this stuff's in it, which, you know, again, I get on the Sir Will building and stuff. But Harry writes in the diary. He gets pulled into the memory. Uh, as far as I can tell, the memory is pretty spot on. Um, I do like, though, that the movie made it kind of sepia-ish, like it's black and white-esque to show that it is old, like, and that this is in the past. So, like, you know something's up from the beginning. Um, though Dumbledore is looking much less Jude Law-y than he probably should at this time, as, as we've been told. Um, the book scene is slightly different, though, in that instead of talking to Dumbledore, Tom talks to Professor Dippet, who was the headmaster at the time rather than Dumbledore. Dumbledore would have just been the Transfiguration teacher. Um and the book has Tom asking Professor Dippet if he can stay at school over the summer rather than going back to the orphanage that he lives at, uh, which I like because I think I think the book version of this uh, makes Tom look better. He like he just looks like a a guy like a good guy who Harry can like understand because he also likes to stay at Hogwarts and doesn't want to go home and stuff. Where in the movie he's just like super sussy. Like, I think 
the movie puts it in a way that we're supposed to be suspect of Tom, but in the book, you're, you're not really. Like, you don't get that same sense that you should be suspicious of him. Uh, so I, I do prefer the book in that in that regard. Um, I do find it hilarious, though, that they couldn't find someone to play a young Hagrid, so they just hide his face. <laughs> like, it's just in shadows and stuff, and then uh, Robbie Coltrane voices him. I mean, I'm assuming they couldn't find one, or else, like, why would they do it like this? So they just didn't look for somebody. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of surprised that anyone actually believed that Hagrid did it. But I guess we know from this movie and later movies and the books and stuff that the ministry is, like, super inept. So I guess it makes sense that they would get it wrong. Um, yeah, next we move on to Riddle's diary getting stolen from Harry's room. Uh, it's pretty much the same in the movie and the book. Uh, and this is the first hint in the movie that it is Ginny, because uh, she has, like, a guilty look on her face when they're talking about it being stolen. Um I think the book gives a lot more hints that it's her or a lot more like uh, just a lot more scenes of, of her being weird. So you think something's going on with her at least, but I can't recall seeing her more than once in the movie since they got to Hogwarts. Like I'm pretty sure it's the first time you, you see her since the, the burrow and the Hogwarts express and stuff. Um, but yeah, we skip to another, uh, another game of Quidditch and uh, McGonagall comes in to tell Harry that uh, Hermione has been petrified and she doesn't seem really broken up. She says it like really matter of factly and calmly. Like, which is like, do you not care? McGonagall? <laughs> uh, and then she, she walks into the, the hospital wing with Harry and Ron and she's like, she was holding this. Does this mean anything to either of you? And it's a mirror. It's a mirror. You use it to look at yourself, Minerva. It, yeah, it means she was checking out her reflection. Duh. <laughs> uh, the, there's a little difference here, though, in the book to the movie. Um, in the book, it's Penelope Clearwater who has the mirror, and uh, she gets petrified with Hermione, so they both see the basilisk through the mirror, presumably. Uh Penelope Clearwater is Percy's girlfriend, and she's the Ravenclaw prefect. And she's just not at all seen or mentioned in any of the movies, uh, which I guess is, is fine. But Sussie Jenny makes her second appearance in the film here, uh, because she, once again, they're talking about it, and she looks super guilty in the corner, and she's like, well, uh, and Harry and Ron decide to go confront Hagrid. Because they're like, our Hermione's gone. We need her. Or we'll do bad at stuff. And when they're at Hagrid's house, we meet Fudge for the first time. And Fudge sucks, but... I, I had to make a note to myself, too, when I saw this. I was like, does he get recast in three? Or does he just look, look different because of his hair? And then I realized it's just his hair. It's the same actor, but like when we see him in the other ones, he's either always wearing a hat or he's got like a thinner, shorter hair. Or in this one, he's got like kind of like a buffo. Also, like who who just gets taken to prison with no proof? Like I mean, serious that serious. But other than him, who gets taken to prison with no proof? <laughs> like stupid Fudge is just like we have to be seen to be doing something, so we're gonna take a random guy to prison. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Hager gets taken to prison. 
and Dumbledore gets fired. And for some reason, he can see Harry and Ron. That's one thing I don't really get still. Like, they're under Death's own cloak. Like, he, Dumbledore shouldn't be able to see, be, see through it either, regardless of how strong he is, but whatever. Um, Hagrid tells him to go follow the spiders, so they follow the spiders. In the book, the card just shows up and saves them from the Acromantula right away, and they leave. Uh, in the movie, Harry learned a spell from the diary that he sees, like, Tom use, uh, Aradia Exime, and he uses that to kill some spiders while they're escaping with the car. I think I think it's just time to burn down the Forbidden Forest. There's no, nothing good in there. Just, you know, burn it down, kill spiders, burn it down, kill spiders. Uh, one thing I will say is, and I'm not the biggest fan of Ron, but good on Ron for going. Like, I'm scared of spiders myself. I would not have gone. <laughs> if they said follow the spiders, and then the first sign of a big spider, I would have been out of there. I would have cut. But he stayed. Good on you, Ron. F, F spiders. So in the book, there is a scene uh, after this where Ginny comes forward to the boys to try and admit that it is her. Like, she's trying to tell them something, but she keeps getting scared and interrupted. Uh, so she doesn't tell them, and she leaves, and that's when she she disappears into the chamber, because essentially Tom realizes that she's going to snitch, so he takes control and takes her. Uh, in the movie, they just kind of get back from the forest and stuff, and they overhear that a student has been taken, and that it was Ginny. Uh, so they go to Lockhart to get help, and this is where we learn that he's a big, fat phony, uh, that he... His whole shtick is uh, finding people who did incredible things, uh, obliviating them, sealing their memory, and then taking credit for the story himself. Uh, but yeah, they, they threaten him, and they take him to the chamber, which they've learned is in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. And uh, they go down into the, the, the sewer thing, and Lockhart steals Ron's wand and tries to obliviate Harry and Ron. But because it's broken... Uh, he obliviates himself by mistake and causes a cave-in. Uh, which is, you know, of course, because we need Harry to be separated and alone. Um, so Harry's separated and alone. And he goes on on his own. Get to this point here, uh, very well adapted. Uh, the only difference really is that in the book, all the Weasleys know that Ginny was taken. So, like, the, the news comes, and they're told, and they have some time to, like, sit and ruminate on it. Where in the movie, uh, as soon as they hear that she's taken, they act, and they go get Lockhart. <clears throat> yeah. So, anywho. We enter the chamber, which looks super dope, in my opinion. Uh, and we find Ginny passed out. With the diary beside her, and then Tom Riddle pops out. He's like, She won't wake up, Harry. Let's have a chat. And he steals Harry's wand. He steals his wand because Harry dropped it on the floor when he went to go see if, if Ginny was okay. Uh, the lines and stuff are very similar, book to movie here, which, you know, Bravo movie, like the lines were good. Keep them. Uh, but like I said, he. Uh, before and it, it happens more here um movie tom is like super smarmy and he's comes across as more evil than book tom comes across because like in the book he kind of like switches like he flips the switch and then he's i'm evil uh 
yeah, in the movie, it's just kind of like you're, you're sussy at him from the get. But we get the big reveal here that Tom Marvolo Riddle spells out, I am Lord Voldemort, which was super hype when I was a kid, but in retrospect, it's really, really dumb. It's a stupid way to come up with a name. Like, I suppose it's lucky that Flight of Death fits him. Like, it's a, it's a, a phrase that fits him because he's, he's, like, he's running from death. So Flight from Death works. But still, it's stupid, and I think it's dumb. <laughs> Especially the I am part. When you when you cut, try to come up with a nickname, you don't put I am in it. Why would you do that? It's weird. Anyways, um, the movie in another weird thing. Also, like Harry drums to Dumbledore's defense really avidly when he's like, "Albus Dumbledore is the greatest sorcerer in the world." The movie hasn't given Harry really any reason. One, to think this, but two, to jump to Dumbledore's defense like this. Like, a more realistic response based on everything we've seen in this movie in the first one would be uh, Tom Riddle to say, I am the greatest sorcerer in the world, and Harry would be like, nah, you ain't. You'd still be alive, you idiot. Like, <laughs> that's more realistic than going, Dumbledore's the greatest sorcerer in the world. But we need Fox, so uh, they do this. So Fox shows up, and for some reason... Tom underestimates Fox, even though he would know damn well how useful a phoenix could be. Like, Fox, if he wanted to, could have just grabbed that diary and flamed it away into a volcano or something. He doesn't, but he could have. Uh, but then we see the cool-ass basilisk with its practical head. Yes, it was practical at times, which is nuts, uh, particularly when Harry stabs it in the mouth. Uh, that is a practical snake head. I gotta be honest though, I strongly dislike the look of the Sword of Gryffindor. I think it looks silly, uh, flimsy, and kind of fake. You could have had a much cooler sword. Sometimes though, uh, I do wonder what would have happened if this Tom like did come back. Like if he was successful and he took Ginny's soul or whatever. Like would he have gone and killed Baby Mort? Uh, with Wormtail, or would they have fused together into, like, one more powerful being? Could they potentially use each Horcrux to make, like, seven Toms? Or would the others be useless while he has a physical body? Like, how does how, do, how would that work? Would the, the Spectre form disappear because the other one is there? Like, I've got questions. I need answers. Anyways, uh, Fox blinds the Basilisk and Harry stabs it in the mush. Uh, he gets bit, and then he crawls over and stabs the diary with the tooth in question that bit him, which kills Tom Riddle, and it saves Ginny. Hooray! We love it. But then they go up to see Dumbledore, and, and Dumbledore has gotten release papers for Hagrid's like, already. Like, How did he get them so quick? It's been like a whole minute. Did he have them anyways? Like, Was Hagrid getting out anyways? That had nothing to do with Harry stopping the basilisk, or did more time pass than it would appear, and Harry and Ron just stayed dirty for a long time? These these are the important questions, folks. Uh, but we learn a little bit more about the connection between Harry and Voldy here. Uh, we learn that that's why he can talk to snakes. That he got something from he got something from Voldemort, and it's kind of like the first little hint that something's going on there between them, something mystical, beyond, like, the uh, Bernie hands touch. But 
man, rest in peace, Richard Harris. The dude comes across as such a wise man. Like he's dropping some sick quotes about choices and not to dwell on dreams and stuff. He's great. I love him. Uh, but Lucius shows up in surprise. Dobby serves the Malfoys. Something the book tells you in chapter three, pretty much. But <laughs> you'll learn it here. And Harry has a, has a really good line where Lucius is like, let's hope Mr. Potter will always be here to save the day. And Harry's like, don't worry, I will be, bruh. Uh, that was an ad lib by Daniel Radcliffe, just so you know. Uh, that's pretty common knowledge for like anyone who knows behind the scenes stuff. But some people might not. So yeah, he, when he says that, he, he just ad-libbed it on the spot. And they're like, that was good. Let's, let's keep this. But then, <laughs> Lucius just straight up tries to murder Harry. Which is like, I can't believe they did that. Um, in the hallway, homie whipped out his wand. And he's like, Havana! Uh, he was, he was going to try to use the killing curse on Harry. And Dobby saves him. But like... Whoa, dude, Lucius, like, what are you going to do? you going to just kill Harry Potter in a hallway? How do you think that's going to end? <laughs> it's not going to end well for you, bro. Uh, but yeah, Dobby gets freed because of a nasty sock that Harry manages to give him uh, from Lucius, which is nice. And uh, we skip to, like, the closing feast, and presumably Gryffindor wins again with last-minute points. But Dumbledore also cancels the exams. Which makes no sense. What is the point of going to school? Like, how do you know who passed and who failed? Like, what about the people writing newts and owls? Because they, they still have to do that. And, and even J.K. Rowling says uh, at some point that Flint comes back in Prison of Azkaban. Like, he's, like this book, Chamber of Secrets, is supposed to be his seventh year. But he comes back in Prison of Azkaban because he failed and had to repeat a year. But if there are no exams, what did he fail? Like, how did he fail? They all they they all would have presumably passed because there were no exams. It's, anyway, it's a little nitpick. <laughs> the movie ends with Hagrid coming back and they clap and stuff. And this was my first instance of a theater being the theater when, like, in a movie they clap, the people in the theater clap, and I hated it. I hate it to this day. Hated it then. It's a stupid thing. Don't do it. Don't clap. Don't clap in a movie. When you're at a movie theater, just be quiet. Just generally be quiet unless something's funny. Then you can laugh. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I really enjoy this movie. I think it's a, it's a very faithful adaptation. The only things missing are minor like world-building stuff or some less important characters or some some like side plots that don't really matter. Oh, excuse me, oh boy. Yeah. Uh, the next movie is a shock to the system, especially compared to this one. If you're looking for like faithful adaptations, but we will get to that later when we do uh, when we do that movie. This movie seemed to have been uh, generally better received critically than the first, and it has a higher overall on the Old Tomatoes. Uh, one of the reviews from Rolling Stones though criticized it for being too faithful and too long, which is so stupid that it hurts me. Like this is what book readers want they want a faithful movie adaptation and if it's longer because it's more faithful then that's good like i don't get how that is a complaint about a movie to book adaptation unless the movie like unless the book is really boring 
and therefore the movie's boring or like it's long the movie's long and boring because they adapt stuff poorly or whatever then fine but that's not like what the guy said so i was like you're you're an idiot and i hate this <laughs> at least that's what i think uh like you don't want a direct copy where it's like like it's just like blatantly the same thing and it's just not as good but like when it's when it's an adaptation that is good enough and faithful enough that it can stand on its own and be viewed to some as like a substitute that's what you want and I think that's what this movie does better than any of the other Harry Potter books uh, movie adaptations like I think this like that's the goal that's what you want for any book adaptation and this one does it better than most yeah uh, so I took some brief notes on the um, creating the world part two, uh, the characters thing that I'm just going to talk about to, to wrap this up. I watched this like with the tension of the, like being no notes because I assumed it would be mostly stuff I knew or stuff that wasn't really that interesting. But it, there was there was some stuff. So like Robbie Coltrane uh, talked about when he was crafting like Hagrid that he played Hagrid like purposely gentle because he he felt that Hagrid's due to his side stuff probably often broke things or whatever like if he wasn't careful all the time so he played him in a way that like he's always gentle and like moves slow and stuff so as not to break things uh original intention they talked about was to shoot all the movies back to back like as much as possible to kind of like race the age clock that was kind of mentioned uh, in the last one. We discussed that a bit. Um, Kenneth Branagh wanted to play Lockhart because he thought it'd be fun to play someone so cowardly and backhanded, which is neat. Um, J.K. Rowling made a point of having be Arthur, having Arthur be the only really good functioning father, apparently, or it was just something she noticed at the end. It's not. It's not clear. The way she says it isn't super clear. But she, she says that Arthur is really the only functioning father in the, in the series that we see. Whether that was on purpose or just something she knows at the end, I don't know. But it could be read either way. <laughs> the kid actors were much better. Uh, Christopher Columbus himself says uh, they went from needing like 11 or 12 takes to get something out to needing two or three to get a scene. Um Richard Harris talks about how he spoke as Dumbledore with a rhythm to his speech. Like, he tried to make it, like, music to give it that special quality. Which, you know, that's great. I like that. Uh, and then they talk about how Richard was uh, sick. He, he had gotten sick during the filming of two. And the last thing he had said to Chris Columbus, uh, or one of the last things he said, was that, you better not think of replacing me. Excuse me while I go sob. <laughs> Uh, and you got some nice memories from Dan and Emma where they're talking about, about Richard Harris, which is which is which I liked, which is lovely. Uh, we see some of uh, Alfonso Cuaron, and he's and he's talking to Dana Radcliffe about the Lumis Maximus scene, which I hate because he can't do magic at home. But I did like uh, they talked about how the first thing Alfonso did uh, with the three kids was try to get them to relate to the important stuff in the movie. Uh, 
like individually like have them as real people relate to the things going on so he had them write essays uh, from the perspective of their own characters telling the story of like their lives to this point like how they thought the characters would would write their their life story from their own experiences like playing them and how they view the characters uh because he wanted them to find the characters for themselves and like really start to embody them and it's funny uh, that emma watson wrote 30 pages a 30 page essay uh, that she gave to him daniel radcliffe wrote one page but apparently it had a lot of emotion and meaning to it and rupert didn't do it <laughs> so <laughs> he said the reason he didn't do it was because ron would never do it <laughs> but he probably just didn't want to uh, Afonso also started letting the kids dictate their hair and uniform styles, which is very noticeable in uh, in Prisoner of Azkaban. Like the hair is different. The, a lot of the uniforms are different, so people leave certain things off and they wear things a certain way. Uh, he said he did this because that's what kids in a boarding school would likely do if they had uniforms, is they'd like customize them as much as they could, which I think you know, is pretty true, and I like that. And he began to let them... Uh, change lines and stuff if something didn't feel right so that they could like say things how they think the character would and stuff and they could try that which I, I like i like that he's giving them a lot of freedom and letting them let them grow as actors and stuff because i think that only serves everything better ultimately uh this, with dumbledore they talked about uh like the, having to recast and stuff um and they held off they talk about how they held off as long as they could. Because uh, David was very upset, uh, as he would be, because uh, like, like we talked about in the last one, Richard Harris was his godfather. And uh, and they, he just, they, they didn't want to deal with it. So they held off as long as they could before they, before they picked someone. And uh, they went with Michael Gambon because they didn't want to replace Richard Harris. They wanted a Dumbledore who played in his own way. Uh, and they showed some like really fun little behind the scenes stuff of Michael Gambon being silly and, and stuff. And they pointed out that uh, Michael brought a kind of funkiness and eccentricity to it, to his Dumbledore that, that Richard Harris didn't have, which, which is true. I think like what, especially once it was pointed out to you and they kind of show some of it, uh, you, you kind of see how like they're, they're the two sides. There's like two sides of Dumbledore in the book and like, Richard Harris is, is like pretty perfectly one side, and then Michael Gambon does a pretty good job on the other side. Um, especially in, in uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, I think he does. He's quite quirky and eccentric in that one, and I, and I like it. Uh, da, 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 da. They talk about Sirius Black. Um, I love Gary Oldman, and just generally. And he has a bit in it where he talks about how like he went into this knowing that he was not he wouldn't be accepted as everyone's idea of Sirius Black, but he would play Sirius Black like as best as he could and how he viewed it, which I love. Um, he talks about how he loved being serious and that it was one of his most difficult roles that he'd done because it was uh, he says it was the most him character he'd ever been. So like uh, up to that point, he said he did a lot of things where he had masks on or a lot of like uh, makeup or he had to do accents or stuff. Whereas um, when he played serious, he could just be raw and emotional and more himself, uh, like a guy trying to be a father and a friend to this to this kid, 
and he loved doing it. Uh, and he said that he played the Beatle. He played uh, Sirius as if he was one of the Beatles, like as if the Marauders were the Beatles, and uh, and that Sirius was the John Lennon of the group. And then they talk about how um, Gary Oldman was like the first actor that that uh, Daniel Radcliffe really like geeked out about working with, and. Uh, they don't talk about it in this, but I do know that they, they went on to become really good friends. They were really close, and, like, Gary Oldman taught uh, Daniel Radcliffe how to play the bass and stuff, so I like them. Uh, next, we look at David Thewlis. They, they introduce him. Uh, they're introducing a lot of people that aren't in this movie, but they I guess they kind of cover the characters as a whole in this little, in this little, little video thing. Uh, they talk about how Lupin was based on J.K. Rowling's favorite teacher. So when David Thewlis got the part, he decided to try to do that. So he he thought about who his favorite teachers were, and he played Lupin like his favorite teachers. And his favorite teachers he mentioned were ones who kind of took students under their wing and like and like tried to guide them and help them. Uh, so that's why that's how he he played it. Uh, Trelawney. Uh, they talk about her. She only really appears in two movies, but uh, Trelawney is in every book after the third one. Uh, and they talk about Emma Thompson and how she did some cool stuff in Azkaban, and she was all weird and stuff, and it was all stuff that she decided to do because she thought that uh, Trelawney would be so fo focused on looking like to the future that she wouldn't really be paying attention to the now, which is why she's all kind of weird and spacey. And... Uh, Emma Watson geeked out about Emma Thompson. That was the first one that she really geeked out about working with. Uh, and we do learn here that between movie three and four was a much larger break, apparently, than, than any of the other movies to that point. Uh, I wanted to look it up, so I wanted to know when they filmed Prisoner of Basket and when they filmed Goblin Fire. Because they, they make a point of saying, I think, that it's one of the longer, if not the longest, breaks. Um, you can definitely tell just by looking at the, the actors between three and four that they are quite a bit older. So Prisoner of Azkaban was filmed in 2003, it looks like. Uh, production development. The film switched to an 18-month cycle. So yeah, it began in 2003, and then Goblet of Fire was filmed in 2004, so, uh, so May of 2004 and February of 2003. Well, yeah, so it's a year and a half almost, so I guess the other ones must have only had a, a year, so it's not actually that big of a difference, really, but they made it sound like it was more, and it does look like more, but I guess they were just at that age where uh, they were older. One thing I learned here, which is just it was just on me, is that I I had no idea that someone else directed the fourth movie. Like I just assumed it was either David Yates or, or, or Alfonso Cuaron, but apparently it was Mike Newell. Uh, my bad. <laughs> they described him as being loud and a tax master, and he was like very British and, and quite scary. So like a lot of the kids didn't really take to him. But uh, it got to a point where Mike, who really loved the, the Weasley twins or the, the Phelps, uh, he got, they were 
doing the fight scene they do in Goblet of Fire, and he got in there and he's like, he's like, hey, what are you twins? Fight me!" And they had like a wrestling match because he wanted to, sh- he wanted them to be more aggressive about it and have it look more real. And it ended up with him breaking one of his ribs. Um, one of the twins broke one of his ribs on a piece of the, of the thingy. And but uh, at that point, after that, all the actors knew he wasn't so scary, so they they started being friendlier with him and stuff and that's how mike newell got more liked on the set and stuff uh clemens posey who plays fleur delacour uh talks about how she played fleur specifically how she thinks the the english view the french rather than how like a french person would actually be uh and then we see robert as cedric who i think is perfection (laughs) robert talks about how he played uh Cedric is being really competitive but fair and there's a fun behind the scenes video where uh, Robert doesn't know Emma Watson's name and Emma's trying to like she's like what's my name Robert <laughs> what's my name uh, he calls her that one and Emma gets mad <laughs> it goes super along like with what I've come to learn about Robert Pattinson where he's like kind of flighty and, and, and fun and weird because uh, he didn't know Emma Watson's name Dan uh, talked about how he was a good dancer and he had to play it down because he assumed Harry would be bad at dancing or he's supposed to be bad, so he just, like, he faked being bad. I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah. Uh, what else? Emma fell down the stairs uh, when she was coming down for the Yule Ball in the first take. She fell down the stairs and it hurt, apparently, which, you know, would make sense. Um, then they talk about Ralph, Ralph, uh, Rafe, Ray Fiennes, uh, I think he's perfect also. I hate, though, how in later films he whispers all the time. I think that's weird. Apparently, though, he was their first choice. And uh, you get to see some behind-the-scenes stuff where he still has his nose. Like, with the, all the other makeup on. I think it still looks really good. Like, he didn't really have to take his, his nose away. But uh, Daniel Radcliffe talks about how he really liked Ray Fiennes and... Uh, wanted to spend more time with him but he felt like he couldn't act like he hated him if he talked to him too much outside of takes so he didn't <laughs> he said later on he, he he felt he was a better actor to where he could but at that point uh like of the filming four and five he just didn't feel comfortable because <laughs> he didn't think he could act like he hated rafe if he talked to him which i think is funny uh we also hear Peter Pettigrew's actor, Timothy Spall's real voice like he talks a bit like an interview and i didn't know that it was so deep and different like it's I just expected him to actually sound like Peter Pettigrew, not how he sounds, which was, you know, interesting, I guess, to me. Um, they talk about the occlumency scene in Order of the Phoenix and that it was they did it with straight takes, so there's no breaks at first because they, they wanted Daniel to find, like, the, the manic kind of, like, performance that they wanted from that scene, and... Uh, Daniel Radcliffe talked about how they were in there for about three days. I think they said he found it around like the 20th or 30 take. And then I'm assuming after that they started taking breaks because he had found it. Uh, so then they talked about Luna. So they put out an open casting call for Luna. And about 15,000 people showed up. And they showed bits of Havana's audition, uh, Vanna Lynch. And it was wild. She's just being Luna. It's just herself. But she, like, she encompassed Luna so well. And she was talking about how, like, like oh, you can you can pick someone else and, and that would be okay. But they wouldn't really be Luna because she's Luna. 
and and it, like oh, it was just it's really good. If you if you haven't seen it, you should go watch that because I enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, they talk about how that got her picked, like because she other people could play Luna and she was just kind of Luna. So I like that. Uh, Bellatrix Strange. They talk about her, Helen Bonham Carter. Bellatrix does the same thing that uh, Ray Fiennes does later. She she does like a lot of whisper talking, and I hate it. But uh, Helena wanted to give, um, give Bellatrix like a sexier look, dress wise. So she uh, she kind of helped create the costume herself to to show how she wanted to express Bellatrix. So it was more like she was gonna be like just in like in like a drapes or like a not good looking outfit. But she's like, no, let's give her something nice, even though she looks gaunt and like gross because she was in prison for thirteen years. It's, Let's have her look nice. Uh, they talk a bit about Tonks. Uh, they don't really say anything, but I just wanted to say myself that I'm very disappointed in how Tonks was uh, was treated in the films and that she was never there. Like, I quite like her in the books, and I think uh, Natalia Tena, I think is how you say her name, was perfect. She just didn't get enough to do in the movies. Like, she, she appears in all of them from five on but she doesn't do anything they just randomly like oh you randomly is now oh you randomly have a kid we never see that we just mentioned oh you randomly die <laughs> i think i think they, they kind of dropped the ball with her uh then they talk about umbridge uh amelda stoughton i think is her name she she talks about how she did something different in every take so that she could find what worked best so she like every take she would do it differently regardless of how other people were doing it. And they talked about how her and Maggie Smith got along very well, which is like it's funny to me because it's the complete opposite of their characters. Um, and Daniel Radcliffe uh, talks about how it is in the third movie. Uh, when they're filming the third movie is when he decided that he really wanted to be an actor, like beyond this. Up to that point, Harry Potter was just something he was doing, and then three years where he cemented that he wanted to be an actor. Uh, and he talks about how in Order of the Phoenix, his scene was serious in front of the tapestry in Grimald Place is when he first felt like he was doing proper acting. Like it was his first, like he said, really, really emotional scene that he uh, that he really liked. Um, the rest is an interesting watch, but there wasn't really much more worth commenting on. Um, so I kind of cut it there. But yeah, the next movie in the Harry Potter series is Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, Prisoner of Azkaban is probably my favorite of the books. Like, it's up there with the Deathly Hallows. And my feelings for the movie are complicated, to say the least. So that's something to, to get into. But yeah, um, I'm not quite sure what will be next on the docket, whether I'll go right to, to Prisoner of Azkaban or if we'll have something else in between, but you can expect Prisoner of Azkaban at some point in time. Uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> Sorry if I'm a bit rambly on this one. Um, something's going on with my computer speakers, so I couldn't really edit and record the audio as I normally do with this one, where I try to take out some of the mistakes. Um, so if there's any kind of mistakes or anything like that, where I, I'm just silent for a bit and then I repeat something, that's why, because my computer's not working right, and I and I wasn't able to go back and fix it. But hopefully this is this is an okay episode. Um, 
and hopefully you're all doing well. I hope you have a good day and a, and a good week and all that, okay? Okay. Goodbye. <laughs>